0: Welcome to 66 Lessons for Life, the weekly radio program recorded live at the Naples Conference Center in Naples, Florida. Taught by our teacher John Garippa, an attorney who guides us in the way of wisdom with a biblical worldview. You're invited to join us for the study. We are in the Gospel of John, chapter 12. We are in At the position now in the Gospel of John where we're focusing on the last week of of Jesus' life. And Jesus is in Jerusalem, he's there now, knowing that his hour has come, that this is his time. And we're going to talk about how Jesus comes to that realization. What does it mean when Jesus said, my hour has come? What's the importance of that theologically? And how do we understand that? And what does it mean for us? What's the practical application today Uh, of this lesson, because there are indeed practical applications. So we're in Gospel of John, chapter 12, beginning with verse 20. We're going to read 10 verses from verse 20 to verse 30. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the feast. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew... Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who observes me. Now, my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it. And will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, This voice was for your benefit, not mine. Wow. And so the most significant thing that you're going to see here is this indication that Jesus says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. That's in verse 23. In other words, Jesus is giving you the recognition that he knows his time is short. That he knows he's going to the cross. That he knows that he is voluntarily, willingly giving up his life. This is important. This is important theology for you to tell the world because, you know, a lot of people are, have misinterpreted this. Nobody took Jesus' life. Amen. Nobody took it. He gave it. Yeah. You got that? He gave it. He could have called in a battalion of angels. He could have stopped them dead in their tracks. Uh, and, and don't think they didn't know that, because we know that when they came to arrest Jesus in the garden, there's Jesus by himself, uh, and the temple soldiers come with about eight to 900 people to arrest him. Do you like that? Eight to 900 people uh, to arrest him. That's how fearful they were of him, and they knew exactly the kind of power that he had. That's how fearful they were of Jesus, and I love that passage where it says, uh, uh, "Are you Jesus of Nazareth?" And they, as they challenge him, and he says, uh, uh, "It is I." And it says that the Bible says that as they said that, that they were like pushed back. Can you imagine, just pushed back, meaning you have no idea you're dealing with God. And so Jesus is saying here, my hour has not yet come. And I want to show you why that's important. Uh, because uh, in Jesus' ministry for the prior three years, there were times when Jesus made it clear that it was not his hour. That it was not his time. And so we, we want to ask God to give us the wisdom to understand the time of God. And one of the citations that I give you there is at the marriage of Cana. And you know that that is the very first uh, uh, miracle Jesus did uh, and at that miracle his mother, his mother called him out and, and asked him to do this and turn if you would to John chapter 2 verse 4 or verse 3 when the wine was gone Jesus' mother said to him they have no more wine I can imagine that's almost a typical Jewish mother response <laughs> you know my son the doctor somebody's sick Mary saying to Jesus, They have no more wine, Jesus. And Jesus says, Dear woman, why do you involve me? My time has not yet come. And I know some people interpret this as Jesus being rude. Jesus couldn't be rude. There wasn't anything rude about this. This was a theological, spiritual statement. It is not my time to give evidence yet to the world of who I am, it will come in small bits and pieces. I don't want to go out and, and make a big pronouncement yet. And yet he stepped forward and he, com- and he did that miracle. So you see Jesus having this wisdom of spiritual time, understanding that he's under a divine clock, knowing that God the Father is in charge of everything, and Jesus is submitting uh, to this. Uh, and one of the things that, that I'm going to emphasize in the teaching today Is that so many people read this passage and conclude that Jesus was afraid of dying. Jesus was not afraid of dying. Alright? I will prove it to you. He was not afraid of dying. Uh, And because often Jesus came face to face with death. He came face to face with people that wanted to kill him. And you never see Jesus backing off or backing down. He was not afraid of death. What Jesus was afraid of was being cut off spiritually from communion with God the Father. Jesus knew that when he was going to go to the cross and when he would become the repository of sin for all mankind, that those hours on the cross as the repository of sin, he would be cut off from communion with God the Father. That's what he was afraid of. That's what he wanted to avoid. That's what his great fear was. And so don't don't in any way get yourself troubled by by, uh, this aspect of Jesus saying that Jesus was looking to avoid uh, the suffering. He wasn't looking to avoid the suffering. That's why we study all the scriptures. We don't take one verse out of context. Build a theology on one verse. We put them all together. We harmonize them all. Turn, for example, to look at John chapter 7, verse 5. And here you see this is a case where his brothers did not believe in him, and now his brothers tell him that they're going to go up to Jerusalem for the feast, verse 5. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. Therefore Jesus told them, The right time for me has not yet come, for you any time is right. Meaning, you go up to the feast, They wanted him to go up to the feast. He determined it was not appropriate for him to go up to the feast yet. God had not given him that inclination. Then you see uh, in verse 8, you go to the feast. I am not yet going to this feast because for me the right time has not yet come. I want to impress upon your heart the idea that Jesus was relying on God to give him the wisdom for the timing in his life. This is a key lesson for us. Are you asking God for the wisdom for the timing in your life? Uh, And honestly, uh, uh, this has to be an ongoing conversation that you have with God. Lord, am I stepping out when you want me to step out? Am I making decisions in accord with your will? Is this what you want me to do? Do you want me to do it now? And this is a conversation that each and every one of us has to have Uh, Because we we need to do this. Because otherwise, if you do it any other way, then it's your will, your decisions, You're making your life plan. And you know what happens when you do this. You make a disaster. Right? You make a disaster. And don't confuse the fact that, oh, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian, and I know that as a Christian, God will look out for me. And that is generically true. But as Christians, we often deviate from the christian path and say yes i'm saved but there's this corner of my life where i think i can handle this kind of thing myself i'm good at this god you know it's my professional life i really don't need you giving me advice on this you're good but this is my thing let me decide you go ahead and god says go ahead you want to do that go ahead go ahead and then people come to me and go, oh, I don't know why God abandoned me. I don't know. And then I'll say, well, did you, did you ask him for, for this decision? Well, no, I didn't I didn't really. No, I didn't. Well, then what do you expect? What do you expect when you actually uh, don't ask God? Don't ask God to step up and, and, and give you wisdom. And so you see this in these passages. And so it comes over and over again. And I've given you citations there to back it up. That, that, that Jesus was clued in, in the most minute way, to the timing of God. When is the time right? What do you want me to do? When do you not want me to go public? And we see here, even in this last week, that as everything is coming to a crescendo, as Lazarus is raised from the dead... And people by the hundreds are thronging to Jesus. That Jesus hid himself in a small village before he came into Jerusalem, knowing that the timing was not right. Only when God impressed upon him, now the timing is right. Now it's appropriate, and Jesus walks into Jerusalem. And so you see this. Uh, And so it's, it's a very important teaching to get from this, the timing. And if God, if Jesus himself is dependent upon God's timing, how much more are we? Honestly, how much more are we? So honestly, if I could impress upon your hearts uh, one act of of Christian living, uh, I want to impress that upon your heart. Uh, Because I know that there are many people who, and I believe that they're saved. They've accepted Jesus Christ, but they have not accepted the submission part of the Christian life. They They haven't really gone down the submission path. And the submission path is how the blessings of God are poured into your life. God cannot pour the blessings into your life unless you submit to him. Really. And I want to encourage you to say say that. Actually, you know, it's just coming into my head right now. I haven't prepared for it except that just God just put this in my mind. Turn to Deuteronomy 28. This just came to my mind right now as I'm speaking to you about... Uh, understanding that it's the submitting and the walking in which God gives you the blessings. Yes, you're saved. Yes, you're saved. Yes, you're going to go and seek God. But now the question is, what is He going to do for your life here? Look in Deuteronomy 28, and this just popped into my mind. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands, I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on earth. Now, this is a statement to Israel, but it percolates down to individuals. All right? He will raise you up above all the nations on the earth. All these blessings will come upon you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. And what I would say there <coughs> mean is, if you submit to God in your Christian walk. You with me? Look at this. You will be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed. The crops of your land and the lung of, young of your livestock. The calves of your herd and the lambs of your flock. Your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. You will be blessed when you come in. Blessed when you go out. The Lord will grant that the enemies who rise up against you will be defeated before you. They will come at you from one direction, but will flee from you in seven. The Lord will send a blessing on your barns and on everything you put your hand to. The Lord your God will bless you in the land he is giving you. The Lord will establish you as his holy people as he promised you on oath. He will keep the commands of the Lord your God And walk in his ways. If you keep the commands of the Lord your God. And walk in his ways. Then all the people on earth will see. That you are called by the name of the Lord. And they will fear you. The Lord will grant you abundant prosperity. How do you like this? I mean really. You read this. Read it at your leisure. And you see what God is saying to you. If you walk with me. Are you walking with him? Yes you're saved. Yes you know he's Jesus. But now the question is, are you walking with him? And this is a big deal. This is a thing that I've got to press home over and over and over again. And this requires a hundred conversations a day with God. A hundred. Somebody asked me the other day, tell me about your prayer life. And I'm not one of these people. I, I just can't. I can't go into a closet and lock the closet. Well, I have claustrophobia, so I couldn't do that. I, 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 I can't do that. I also have bad knees, so I can't kneel down for long periods of time. Because I find that I get distracted. All of a sudden, I'm thinking about the pain of my knees. I'm not thinking about God. I mean, you know where I'm going. I'm like all of you. But I'll bet I pray 100 times a day in my walk, as I'm driving. Even while I'm teaching right here, I'm praying. Amen. And I hope you're praying as you're listening. Amen. And every pos- and just a constant prayer language to God. Lord, help me. Lord, lead me. Lord, open the doors. Lord, close the doors for me. And then I'm thinking about you and asking God to pray for you. And each and every one of you, as I'm aware of the issues in your life, I'm asking God to do that a hundred times a day. So you want to know what God wants from you? He wants you to pray to him a hundred times a day. In every part of your life, you do that. You walk with him. And that when you are doing that, and I'm not saying that I'm any holy person. I'm the lowest of the low. But I have recognized that I cannot have success in my life unless I'm fully submitted to him. And this requires me asking him, am I right? Am I doing the right thing? Am I walking with you? And, and asking constantly for the doors to be opened and the doors to be closed. This means before you take a job, you do it. Alright? Before you make a decision on buying a house, you do it. Before you seek a mate. How do you like that one? Yes. Oh, yeah. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Are you telling me I need to ask God before I get married? You know, I, I'm, it's important for me to have chemistry. I need some chemistry in my life. Let me tell you something. Your chemistry is so bad, okay, you don't have a chance. If you go and do what's in your head, all right, and what the chemical reactions in your body tell you, you might as well go and get a divorce lawyer before you get married. There's no chance, zero, zero chance to have a successful marriage. Why do you think the marriage rates are what they are? And I'm sad to say them the, the failure rates are high even in supposedly in Christians. Why? Because they're Christians, but they're not submitting to God. I want to emphasize this. All right? You can be saved and not be in Deuteronomy 28. All right? You can be saved, but not in Deuteronomy 28. So this is a question that each of us has to ask God on our own. Lord... You know, and here's the other thing. And I know some of you uh, are alone and looking for company and looking for mates. And I pray for you. But I'm going to tell you something: being alone can be blessed. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> not you, Linda. Not you. Not you. Little this little does not little apply little. to you. But here, yeah. but here's the point. Here is the point. There's nothing more lonely than to be linked with somebody for life. And when you're with them, they're right next to you, you're alone. Have you ever felt that pervasive sense of loneliness? Even though you may be hooked up and connected with somebody because their mind, their heart is not where you think it should be. That's what you call unequally yoked. This is what the Bible says. Boy, I'm telling you, this is true. This is true. And so this all has come into my heart right now as I'm teaching you this about understanding the will of God. Jesus understood the will of God. He didn't do anything. He didn't step out at all unless he knew that God wanted him to do it. Can I get an amen for that? I mean, this is a big deal. If you don't listen to anything else I say today, if you get that, then you got it. Uh, And when I see some of the young people in the class... Uh, and, and I know we have people here that that uh, will be making decisions about where to go to college and what to do with your life. That's exactly how you do it. You ask God, Lord, where do you want me to go to school? Open the door. Lord, what do you want me to do with my life? Honestly. Uh, and, and if you do that, then you will have a blessed life. All the things in Deuteronomy 28 are going to be poured into your life. And if you don't, then you will not have a blessed life. Yes, you'll be a Christian, but you're going to wonder why. I don't get it. Why don't I have the fruit? Why don't I see myself uh, prospering? What is it? And and this is what God wants. This is what God wants. And so you see here in this passage, as we've studied this, that, that all of a sudden we see the Greeks coming to Jesus. This is important because what it symbolizes is that suddenly the Gentile world is coming to Jesus. The Greeks in this passage metaphorically represent all of us. It is the Gentile world stepping up to Jesus, wanting to see Jesus, wanting to know who Jesus is, in stark juxtaposition to a several verses before where the Pharisees decide he's gotta die. He's gotta go. And so what you see is institutional Judaism rejecting Jesus, and now Greeks representing institutional Gentiles stepping up and coming to Jesus. And an, incre- an incredibly important point, Do you understand, Jesus came first for the Jews. He came first for the Jews. He wanted God wanted the Jews to be a nation of priests. The plan of God was that the Jewish people would be the missionaries throughout the world of Christianity. That's the plan. That's what it was about, right from Abraham. And they said, no way. We're not going to do it. So God calls others. And there's a lesson there for you. You see, God calls you. God puts you in a position. God asks you to step up. He gives you certain talents, certain gifts, and he wants you to step up. And if you say, nah, I I don't feel it. I don't feel it. God says, fine. I'll find somebody else. The work of God goes on. Don't ever feel well if I don't don't do this. Oh, wow. The whole thing is going to collapse. Oh, it's going to collapse. No, it's not going to collapse. God's going to call somebody else. And somebody else will get the blessing. That's why when we come and say that we have certain efforts that we're trying to do, we're trying to effectuate change in people's lives, we may be raising money. To, to try to do things to elevate somebody's life that's been a catastrophe. God gives you a chance to put your brick. Lord, put my brick. Somebody says to me, I don't have much money. It doesn't matter the amount of money. God wants you to put your brick. Are you part of the effort? Are you part of the partnership? Because there will be blessings that will come down. And unless you're part of the effort, you will not be part of the blessings. You know, the, the beauty of the Bible... And, and, and the theology of God is it's simple. You know, it's simple. Whoa, we make it so mysterious. Oh, what essence of life. Oh, and yet when you read the Bible and you distill it down and you get a picture of all these, the applications here, you see it's simple. God wants submission. He doesn't want you doing your own thing. Your own thing is a disaster. And so that's what I see here. More than anything is I see this with Jesus. I'm not doing my own thing. I'm not doing it. I'm doing it in the, in the great wisdom of God the Father. Uh, and now the second point in Christ's response to the, to the question of the Greeks is that now he is about to be glorified. That's what he says there. Uh, and I want to talk about what he means by now he is about to be glorified. Uh, And what I believe that that means is, uh, that's an answer that operates on several levels. First of all, his glorification means that he is now opening the doors ever so wide to men and women all over the world for salvation. Remember, it was first for the Jews. That was the plan. It wasn't for the Gentiles. It was only after the Jews had their chance and ultimately rejected Jesus that it came for for the uh, Gentiles. And so this glorification is the aspect of God opening the doors of heaven, opening salvation itself to the rest of the world. Now, this is important for you because what this means is God has given you a role to do in the glorification of Christ. What do I mean by that? It means that Christ is glorified on the cross and his message of glorification must be transmitted by you to the world. That's the role. That's your job. That's what God has called you to do. So each of us, in our own way, as God calls us, is participating in that aspect of glorification through the cross. And Jesus is saying, and this is important, that the very act of dying gives rise to the glorification. Let me tell you something. So much we've seen where where uh, people focus on the physical suffering uh, and passion of the cross, and I'm and I understand that, and my heart breaks for that. But I want to emphasize to you, it wasn't the the, the uh, suffering, it wasn't the suffering or the beatings that brings you salvation. It was the act that Jesus voluntarily gave up a perfect life as the vicarious sacrifice for all of humanity once and forever. That was the thing. Don't Don't ever confuse it. And don't ever confuse it with the fact that they took his life. They did not take it. Nobody took his life. Nobody took his life. He willingly gave it up. He allowed himself to be taken. He allowed himself to be killed on the cross, knowing that it was the death of the perfect sacrifice on the cross that would ultimately bring salvation to a dying world. Uh, And you see that here. And this is what Jesus is referring here. John chapter 12. We'll look at verse 23. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. Underline that. Follow me. Or submit to me. Be in submission. And where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. What is Jesus saying here? Jesus is saying that in order for glorification to take place... In order for eternal life to take place, God the Father demands that a vicarious sacrifice has to take place. And Jesus was that sacrifice. And so it's the act of dying that gives life. And Jesus explains it in a way that you can understand it. Jesus says it's like a kernel of wheat. You have that kernel of wheat and you hold that kernel of wheat and you hold it in your hand and it's only a single seed. It's by itself. Nothing happens. Nothing grows. Nothing prospers. There's no fruit. It's a single, almost dead-looking piece of seed. But when you put the seed in the ground, the seed effectively dies to itself and sprouts multiple other seeds. Through the death of the single seed, multiple other seeds give rise and life takes place. And Jesus is explaining it. That that's precisely what's happening to him through his death and precisely what will happen to us. Because Jesus then uses the explanation about what we as Christians need to do. What do we need to do? Jesus says it very simply. Uh, and he says here, the man, verse 25, the man who loves his life, will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Now, let me distill that to you in a way that makes sense. Alright? If you are in love with your life in this world, you're living for yourself, you're lusting after the brass ring, you can't get enough of this world. Whatever it is, you want more. You want more. Your sensory uh, synapses can't be pleased enough. You lust in so many ways, and that's what it is. I can There's not enough time in the day for me to take it all in. I want more, I want more houses, I want more boats, I wanna I wanna have everything that I can have. I want the most of what it is. I want people to look at me and say, Wow, look at that guy, look how rich he is, look how powerful he is. Oh, look at how popular he is. And if you live like that, you are destined to die. And you will die. A life away from God. Alright? You're on your way to hell. In plain English. You can't do it any other way. That's what he's saying. If you're living your life for this world, there is no way out. No way. But, 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 through the grace of God, and let me say that, through the grace of God, and through faith, when you have recognized that I'm lost, I can't help myself, God, I need you. And he pours himself into your life. And you now begin to submit, right? You are submitting and walking with him. And now you are eschewing that kind of life. You're not interested in the things of the world. You're not interested in raising yourself up. You're not interested in making yourself the most powerful person in the room. Instead, you're living for Jesus Christ. Your next, every breath that you take, what can I do, God, to advance the kingdom of God? How can I be your hands? How can I be your feet? How can I pray for your children? What can I do, God, for you to thank you in some minuscule way for what you've done for me, given me life eternal? And when you have those hundred conversations a day, he will make it very clear. He will make it very clear. And so now you're no longer living for yourself. You're living for him. And he will bless you. Deuteronomy 28. Read it. Not just going to bless your spiritual life. He's going to bless every other part of your life. Because you're living in accord with him. And you see this. And so you understand what's, what's going on here. Why the death aspect is critical. Death is a critical aspect of understanding our Christian life. It's critical because we understand what Jesus did on the cross, and it's critical because we know what we're doing in our own lives. Just as Jesus died on the cross for us, we are dying to ourselves in this world for Christ. Amen? Amen. It's an important uh, theological point to drill home. We are dying to uh, ourselves. And so... Why is this important? Because here's the thing. At some point in our lives, all of us are gonna face death. We will face death. We will face the reality that we will leave this world and we will go be be prepared to take our next breath in the next world. And if you have died to self, then you're not gonna be sitting here going, Oh, I can't I can't leave. I can't leave. Oh no, it's so sad. Instead, you'll understand that this is just a mere shadow of what's waiting for you on the other side. Because you've already died to that part of your life. Do you understand why this is important? God is preparing each and every one of us to take that next step. And so many of us go, yeah, but, you know, I don't know. I don't know. That seems a bit harsh to me. Why can't I have fun here? Yes, you can have fun. You'll have fun beyond what you even understand the word fun means. Beyond what you understand the word fun means when you're living for Christ. To get up every day. How'd you like to get up every day and to know, I need to know that you're where God wants you to be. That you're walking the way he wants you to walk. That if something were to happen to you, the next minute you're in heaven with Jesus Christ. I mean, that's how you want to live your life. And so you're seeing this. You're seeing this, and Jesus is explaining it to us in this issue of the kernel of wheat, understanding that that's what this is about. You must die for yourself. You must die to self. You can't live a glorified life. You can't live a life for Christ unless in some ways you have died to yourself. Turn to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2, verse 19. And this is Paul writing. For through the law... I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself to me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if by righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Can you understand these words now as I've just explained it to you? Do you see what he's saying? I've died to self. I've died to the law. I can't live by the law. I can't abide by the law. I'm a failure by the law. But when I live for Christ, I recognize I die to myself. And in that aspect of my life, I have effectively become crucified with Christ. Now you understand what that means. When Jesus was crucified on the cross and gave himself up voluntarily for you, you now, and becoming a fully committed Christian and submitting yourself to him, you also now are crucified with him as he died on the cross, you are dying to this life. Does that make sense? Really, And you understand it, you see it. Look also a couple of chapters further back towards the back of the book. Look at Galatians uh, chapter 6, verse 14. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. How about that? That's the kind of life you want to live. You want want your life to be crucified. You've crucified your life. You're no longer interested in the things of this world. Oh, and by the way, I'm not saying that you don't pay your bills, okay? I'm not, I'm not saying that, that you become a monk and you head for the mountains. I'm not saying that. You, you live a life of responsibility. You don't do anything so that people in the world will go, "Oh, look at that flake. Who would want to be a Christian? Look at that nut. No, you don't do that. Instead, you live a life that people go, Oh, wow, look at those people. Look how they face adversity. Look how they face suffering. Look how they face persecution. Look how they face hard times. How do they do that? Oh, they do it through Jesus. That's it. You go walking down the hospital corridors with me, and you go into the rooms where our people are in, and you see people who are dying, and yet they've already committed themselves to God. You see the difference in that room when you go across the hall to somebody who's dying who doesn't know Jesus. Let me tell you something. You could barely walk into the room. You could barely walk into the room. And that's what Paul is telling you here. He's crucified himself. He has put himself down. He has given himself to God in every way. And so this is the principle of death and denial. This is important. All of this comes together on the cross. So when you see Jesus dying on the cross, it's not just the act, the physical act of Jesus dying on the cross. Uh, It is so much more broad. It is so much more expansive. And it covers so many other things way, way more deeply done than just in that act of dying. Uh, It's a spiritual act. And Jesus is telling us how, how he expects us to live. Uh, And so many Christians, many Christians have the idea that they can receive the full blessings of God without at the same time accepting the full lordship of Jesus Christ in their lives. You want the full blessings of God? You want to be in Deuteronomy 28? You want that in every aspect of your life? Then you have to give God the full lordship of your life in every way, in every way. That's a hundred conversations a day with God. And you know what I say a hundred it might be a thousand. but the point I'm using is it's multiple conversations a day. Uh, and, and here's the thing that I want to reiterate to you that when you ask God, when you ask God for this, God answers you. God answers you. He does this. Um, and I could tell you that you know even now as I' as we're trying to find that home, for that poor sister, the grandmother raising her children. And I'm looking and I go up and I, and I look at multiple houses uh, and I'm, I'm waiting on God to confirm to me the house that he wants for her. I'm actually waiting. I'm waiting. And it's hard for me to wait. You understand? I'm not a waiting kind of guy. I mean, really, you could see this. You know me. Somebody said to me, you, you, you're very passionate in your, in your teaching. I said, let me tell you something. What you see here is exactly what I did in court. I represented people in court and corporations in court the same way you see me here. The only difference is now I have a much better boss. Okay, God made us. He made me. This is how I operate. This is what I do. But you understand, the passion now is for Jesus, for God. I understand it. And so, sure, I, often in my life, I used to look at a closed door, and that was merely an opportunity to kick it open. You understand? <laughs> kick it open. Until I prayed and said, Lord, give me the wisdom to understand that a closed door was a closed door. Don't act. Don't move. Because if I go with my own wisdom or with my own instincts, I'm doomed to fail get this through your heads I can't I mean really you're doomed to fail I don't care what it is but if you wait upon God and I have the confidence to know God is going to answer this prayer that he's going to give us the house for this woman that's her house when he's ready to give it to me even if I have to wait even if it's uncomfortable to wait even though I'm itching to see it done you know John it's not you it's me and when you learn that lesson when you learn it's not you it's him, and you die to yourself, and you give it up to him, and you speak to him a hundred times a day, and you submit to him in every part of your life, you are going to see Deuteronomy 28. Deuteronomy 28. Go home and read it. That's what he has for you. Let's close in prayer. Lord, I thank you, Father, for the words we've heard today. Lord, I know that this is the present truth that you had for us, that we needed to hear this today. Lord, help it to grow in our heart and understand what death and denial is about understand what timing is about understand that jesus waited for you and didn't step out until you told him help us to learn these lessons lord help it to drill it home to us live our lives like this protect our people bless them this week be with them and bring them back safely to continue the study of your word we put all of this in jesus precious name amen thank you for listening to 66 lessons for life the men's Bible study taught by John Garippa and recorded live at the Naples Conference Center in Naples, Florida. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding so that you, the man of God, would be thoroughly equipped for every good work. For more information about the program or attending the Naples Men's Bible Study at the Naples Conference Center, go to our website at 66lessonsforlife.com.